0: I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and sitting in today is my co-host, Kim Garner. We'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin.
1: You could say Felicity Huffman is a great actress, whether on stage, in films, or on television. But that wouldn't be doing her justice because she's earned a boatload of nominations and awards from the Screen Actors Guild, the Emmys, the Golden Globes, and the Academy Awards, just to name a few. You may know her best as Lynette Scavo from the long-running TV series Desperate Housewives. But before landing that starring role, she guest-starred in many of your favorite TV series like The X-Files— Law & Order, Sports Night, Frasier, and Chicago Hope, as well as appearing in films such as Transamerica, Rudderless, Cake, and Magnolia. How did a girl from rural New York State reach the top of her profession? We'll find out as we rewind to the beginning and say it forward with Felicity Huffman.
0: Okay. So if we could begin with where as a word of caution, so it's, it's sort of a cautionary tale, is really what it's going to be. But you're from you're from the most one of the most beautiful parts of the country.
2: Yes, you know. I'm one of eight kids. My mother lived in Bedford, New York. My father was in World War II in the Navy, and then he worked on Wall Street. And they got divorced, and my mother got tired of the country club scene, so she packed all eight of us up and moved to Aspen, Colorado, which at that point was sort of a little ski town, and mainly Texans went there and. Everyone was a hippie and stoned, and I've lived there since I was six, six or six or seven.:
0: That's amazing. Eight children. Where do you fall in that group?
2: I am the youngest. There's seven Mm. girls and one boy. Where did he fall? He's two above me.
0: Two above you. So were your parents trying to have a boy?
2: You know, it's interesting because my mother didn't really like children. But as she said, yeah, as she says, she was like, well, I didn't really know what else to do with my time. (laughs) Yeah. So, gosh, she was pregnant, what, for 16 years? What about that?
0: hmm. That's a long time. It's a long time. She are you does close see, to
2: your siblings? Very. I mean, with such a large group, there are certain pockets that are particularly tight and certain individuals are not. But I would say, yes, it's one of the strongest ties in my life. I mean, they're the first people I call. I often feel bad about not having more girlfriends when you guys were talking about how close you are and you started, you have many businesses together. I often go, oh, I wish I had more friends, but my sisters are
3: my best friends. Right? How
2: long did you live
3: together in Aspen as a family?
2: I would say pretty much only my two oldest sisters didn't really have bedrooms. We all sort of shared. Oh, my gosh, you guys, there was one bathroom. For,
3: well, for seven, seven girls? girls. <laughs> yeah,
2: one bathroom. That's and it didn't even occur to me until later, and I went, that's amazing. I and mean, they would all sort of be in the bathroom talking and opening the windows and smoking cigarettes and blowing the smoke
0: out. And it was really cool. What a life. I love that. Uh, I know. Your parents, did they get along?
2: They got along. They got divorced when I was about one or two. And then uh, my mom moved out to Colorado. My dad was still back in Bedford, New York. And then when I was about 10, his health started failing. And so she brought him to she built an annex onto our house. It was called Pop's Annex, and he sort of lived in the annex. Wow. Wow. Yeah, they were together until, I mean, he lived with us until he died.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. So they found some way to get along. They
2: did. I, I don't really know how, it's so funny, you know, when one is young, you sort of go, oh, it's just how it works. Yeah, that happens all the time, but yeah, they did. Did you go to the little high school in Aspen? I did. I went there for about half a year. I sort of skipped around to about four different high schools because uh, it was sort of boarding school and then back to Aspen. But, yeah, I went there for a little while. I can see
3: Aspen would be a lovely place at the time that you lived there. Yes. Quite different now.
2: It is different. Yeah. I mean, there's wonderful infrastructure in Aspen and wonderful arts in Aspen. And there's a core of locals, which are great. And you also, the the tourists make it possible for us to have the
0: infrastructure. So it all works. It's so beautiful there. So you have eight siblings. Are they all alive? No. One of my sisters died of breast cancer. So Mm. I now have six.
2: Six six. sisters. And How was
3: it being the youngest with all those women? Did you feel you had multiple moms?
2: No, I have to say it's a little golden spot there. I mean... Your mother is tired enough and been beaten up enough that she's like, I just love you. I Don't kill yourself, and I just love you. And your older sisters, I mean, the ones right above you are sort of like, Ugh, you're so annoying. But the ones that are, you know, 10, 12, 14 years older than you, yeah, they, they took care of me and they guided me. And they were the ones that did my boarding school applications, my college applications. You know, they were the ones that took me for birth control and taught me how to use a Tampax and talked to me about boyfriends. And it was amazing. It was a little village. I'm so comfortable with women, and I'm so comfortable in groups. I mean, consequently, I do everything by committee. For us to figure out what movie to go to, it takes 13 phone calls and three people cry. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I just love it.
0: It's nice. There's a lot to be said about that, having camaraderie. You know, I don't know how else you could live in a house with that many people and not attempt to all sort of find a symbiotic relationship where you can get along, because otherwise it would be horrible.
2: Oh my God, the fights were unbelievable.
0: Did your mother love you all to death?
2: S- S- some. <laughs> some
0: more than others. She must have really, was she uh, hell bent on having that many children or just worked out that way?
2: I really think it just happened. You know, she, I think she was exhausted and children didn't really interest her. But, you know, it was also that generation of like, what school do you go to? How are you? They're fine. Okay. Did she nurse you all? No, I think I was one of the only ones she nursed. You know, she's smoking, drinking, all that. While pregnant? back then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Riding. She rode the day before. She went hunting the day
3: before I was born. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for a lot of your young childhood, if you left at one, it was just a house full of women and estrogen and no male. Did you have uncles? Was there any of that? I have to say, no, there
2: weren't really uncles. Everyone was back east. We were in Colorado. Yeah, until my dad moved out when I was about 10, it was just very female, and it was the water in which I swam, so I didn't know
0: any different. Were you in the plays at school, and, you know, did you know early on that you wanted to be a performer?
2: I think I was loud. I know I was loud and obnoxious as the little, the youngest, you know, you want to be heard so you have a decibel level. And I wanted to be a ballerina because I liked the outfit. (laughs) And my mother said, no, you're loud and obnoxious. I'm sending you to acting camp. And I went, what? And so when I was 10, she sent me to an acting camp back east, and that was it. Because of the community, I have to say. Not because I went, oh, I want to perform, but because there were all these cool kids, and they were older, and they were jitterbugging and singing, and everyone was writing and smoking cigarettes and being cool. And I went, this
3: is awesome. How would your mom think? Like, where was she artistic? Where do you get that from? She was she um, when she was younger in Greenwich
2: Village, she worked with a guy named Piscotter and she was an actress before she got married. And even a little bit after she got married, she kept acting because she didn't get pregnant until she was 23. My dad came back from the war and they said, you're sterile. And so he came to my mother. She was about 22, I guess, and said well, you can have a divorce. I'm going to offer you a divorce. She said, no, I'm not going to divorce you. And then at 23, she was pregnant. And then at 24, she was pregnant. <laughs> and then at 25, she was pregnant. So
0: clearly he got bad information. <laughs> yeah. Are you the only one in your family that followed that path? or there I a- am. That's fantastic. They must be so proud of you. You've had such a glorious career.
2: They are. They're very generous. My family is very generous hearted. There's never really jealousy that everyone just sort of celebrates it, which is wonderful.
0: So it sounds like your growing up was kind of cool. It was totally cool.
2: I mean, you know, my mother loved me unconditionally and was incredibly supportive. And she was also somewhat of a monster. I mean, you know, she would blow up and she would, you know, beat people. She was... You know, crazy, she kind of lost her mind with eight kids, and believe me, I lost my mind with two. I don't blame her, but um you know she loved us, but there's also nothing more unifying than sort of a common enemy and and she was something
0: to be handled and maneuvered around. <laughs> I have no idea I haven't seen your girls together, so I don't know what kind of relationship they have. Are they close?
2: No, they're not particularly close. they're like chalk and cheese, maybe it will develop, but they kind of tolerate each other. But Do you not have close. family
0: dinners together
2: yeah they're uh fifteen and seventeen.
0: Mm. Are you and Bill united fronts in raising your girls?
2: Yeah, I think we are. My dad, like I said, came in when I was about 10, but he was very much on the margins. You know, my mother was the powerhouse. And so I can see, one, it doesn't come naturally to me to be like, oh, yeah, what do you think? I'm sort of like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go through it my way. (laughs) But I can see how important, one, a partner is. And two, for me, I see how important that male energy is in a house full of women. It's so different and they need it. And I think one of the great things about fathers and I'm generalizing, but, you know, I think mothers to a fault will go, I let me give and give and give. And where do you want to go today? And, you know, it's that sort of thing. And a dad will go, I'm going to Home Depot. Come on, we're going to Home Depot. And the kids are like, oh, okay, I'm not the center. And I think that's really healthy. I wish I could provide it, but Bill provides it.
3: Was there an influence as a father in your family or not so much?
2: Yeah, I felt that he loved me there was a time when I would go over and he would make me breakfast every morning in his little annex. Um So every morning he would make me scrambled eggs, and every day when I came home from school, my dad was born in 1910, he would make me a snack, which was white bread, butter, and white sugar.
0: So did your mom live to see you go off and have this fantastic life that you have? She did. You know, my mom was a little bit of a theater snob, so me doing television was a little bit like,
2: are you still in that television show, (laughs) Desperate Housewives? I was like, yes, yes, I am. (laughs) Sort of couldn't remember the name of it very often and sort of would put up her nose. But she loved that I'd done theater and she loved that I'd been on Broadway and she was proud of me. I love that.
0: You were married to a fantastically interesting man, Mm -hmm. very creative also. How did you guys meet?
2: Okay, so I went to NYU. And being the lemming that I am, my good friend went the year before, and I was like, I want to go to NYU. So I went to NYU, and like every school year, I was late getting back to school because I didn't really like school. I'd gone to Italy with a boyfriend. So this was, I guess, my second year, and all my friends were going into this new acting studio by David Mamet. It was called Practical Aesthetics. And I went, oh, well, I'll just go with you into Practical Aesthetics because... As I said, I'm a lemming and I walked in and I had to do an interview and I thought it was going to be with David Mamet, who I sort of knew, but not really the playwright. And uh, I walked in and there was this blonde haired guy with an Izod shirt with a collar popped up sitting there. And they said, this is Bill Macy. And I went, "Okay," sat down. I thought he was going to ask me acting questions and he asked me all about Italy. And then at the end, he went, well, you want to be a part of the studio? And I said, yeah. So he was my teacher for a year, maybe two years yeah, I think two years. Did he and he make um, a move on you? <laughs> no, not for at least 10 or 15 minutes after I graduated. <laughs> but he was married to this beautiful, she looked like Bianca Jagger. And I was like 160 with a bad perm and big pink glasses. <laughs> so he didn't make a move on me. But all the girls had a crush on him. And I remember very distinctly, the first summer, the Atlantic Theater Company was formed. We all went up to Vermont to do plays, and Bill and his friend came up to see some of the plays as, like, our mentor. And afterwards, we all went to a party at a farmhouse and drove up there. And I was walking into the house with a bunch of people and Bill, and Bill said, do you want to show me the barn? And I was going, I don't really know the barn, but... Yeah okay, I'll show you the barn. What are you talking about? And we walked out into the pasture, and he kissed me. Wow! And you could have knocked me over with a feather, right? The big pink glasses and the bad wow. perm. And um, did you have a crush on him? everyone? Had a crush on him. Yeah, he was cute. Bill Macy. Yeah, he's pretty. And he's cute. charming and funny. And I went back into the farmhouse with all my friends, and I went, "Oh my God, Bill Macy just <laughs> kissed
0: me!" <laughs> and two of the girls <laughs> cried because <laughs> everyone had a crush on him. <laughs> That's so funny. So after the kiss, were you together?
2: Pretty much. He kissed me and he was getting a divorce and he said, and as I, I didn't know what I was doing. He said, listen, I'm pretty messed up right now. And I went, okay. And he said, but if you wait for me, I'll be back. And I went, okay. I didn't even know what that meant, but he meant I have to go and get divorced. 22, which now you look back and that's like five. Yeah. So he was 34.
0: 4, 35. So he got married in his 20s.
2: Yeah. Well, he got married. He married his high school sweetheart. And then he married a woman in New York who was gorgeous.
0: And then he married me. Wow. And you guys have a very nice relationship. You're both very respectful of each other.
2: Well, you know, we broke up for about five years. and uh, While I think you were married you lose, or while you were dating? While we were dating. And I think losing... You know, you never know what you have until you Was it just growing
3: it. apart or not? You know, it was me. And I
2: think I just got together and I was 21 or 22. And I just, by about 29, 28, 29, I just kind of went. And I sort of just went crazy. And mm. after a couple of years, he said, I'm out. After about a year or so, I called him up and I said, I miss you so much. And he said, I'm not there. I'm mm. I'm gone. And I said, okay, look, I'm going to woo you. I know you can't say yes, but until you say no, I'm just going to keep wooing you. And he didn't say anything. So for a year, I wooed him like a man. I sent him presents. I'd call him. I'd show up places. And after a year, he called and he said no. I said, okay. So I backed off. And then two or three years later, he called me up and his best friend died, who was an editor in um, for Esquire in London. Two things happened. His best friend died and he bought a house in L.A. This is... A guy who never had any money and he had enough money to buy a house and those two things made him say, I miss Flicka. My nickname, Flicka. And so he called and said, I'm going to our friend's funeral in London. Will you come with me? And I had a boyfriend at the time, and I said, yes. And he said, separate rooms. And I said, anything you want. And he said, "Okay. so here's the flight information. This is back in payphones. I was like on 8th Avenue on a payphone. I said, Okay, I'm there. I hung up, put another quarter in, called up my boyfriend. I'm going to London with Bill Macy. I think that means we're broken up. (laughs) It was a crazy trip. And I just want to say that whole thing about two rooms. I never saw my room. <laughs> I just want to say that. He was like, two rooms, several rooms. I was like, sure, okay. Oh, yeah, I was totally waiting.
0: I mean, Bill was Bill was the one that got away. If he hadn't come back, would you have stayed with the guy you were with? I think I possibly might have. Do you, do you know him now? I do, yeah. Are you
2: friends? No, I'm not really friends with my exes, but he's friendly. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes, so Bill came back, and then you guys were together. Now, when he came back, was that it? You were done, and you were moved off to the next chapter of the life that you live now? When he finally came back, although, yes, on
2: the phone I said, yes, I'm there, I had gotten to a place where I go, you know what? I'm okay without him, as opposed to, I can't breathe without Bill Macy. So it was great, because I could come more from choice than from desperation, and uh, we were in... London and we were running because we run a lot and he said well I'd like to be together from now on and I said not like asking me to marry him or anything and I said well okay but I'm gonna hold on to myself this time and I don't feel like I need you I feel like I love you but I don't need you wow so I think that sort of opened it up a bit that's beautiful oh my god yeah Yeah. that's fantastic Probably wasn't that articulate I was probably like oh my god okay but whatever (laughs) it's gonna be hard all right I'm scared (laughs) I read in, in
3: something before, That's you know, true. the interview that he said. I guess it was talking about your twentieth anniversary. What makes a great marriage to you is love of the work you do together. Mm. That you, to your core, are a beautiful person. That you're always evolving, and that he has never trusted anyone, and he can be really vulnerable with you. Which no, I know, I didn't know that. So beautifully sweet.
2: Yeah, and so articulate. That's interesting. I... I love that you know that, and I don't.
3: <laughs> we'll find <laughs> say, Is there anything you want to add to a happy marriage with Bill after him saying that? It's so funny, our
2: pat answer, you know, when people go, what's the secret of a marriage? I'm sure people ask you guys all the time. And I go, uh, marry Bill Macy. And he says, marry Felicity Hepburn, but I've never heard him be so articulate about that. Um, but anyway, there's a wonderful writer and therapist. She had three girls, and they were growing up, and they started to say, what am I looking for in a guy? And she went, this is a great question. And she she wrote this wonderful book. I think it's something like 10, 10 things you want to look for in a husband. And it's so articulate and deep. I mean, one of the first ones is a sense of humor. And the other is the ability to be flexible and change, which entails the ability to tell the truth and look inwards and see what works and see what doesn't. And it's not about power or domination. But I would add to that, he's a really honorable man. He's a really, he's like a little white corpuscle. He's just part, always wants to be part of the solution And dead honest.
3: All those qualities (gasps) of trust and being vulnerable, was that part of your sisterhood that you came to value that? And was that always a part about who you are? I don't know how to answer that directly.
2: I I will say that there is an
3: unspoken
2: code in our family, um, which like any sort of tribal code has its light and dark side. But it's always later in our life when we go, oh, yeah, you can't treat everybody like a sister. Really, only your sisters are your sister. Your well-being comes far before my own convenience. So at the drop of a hat, my sisters fly across the country if somebody needs them. And as I said, the dark side of that is sort of no boundaries with your sister, you know, to be able to turn to your sister and go, no, that doesn't work for me is totally against the code of the family. So that speaks of the bond. The vulnerability, I would say, I think it comes from an actor's or or possibly just a person's thing, which is, you know, our job as artists uh, is to tell the truth. And in order to tell the truth, you have to be vulnerable because the truth is often tender and ugly and messy and all that stuff. So, you know, it's the the truth of the human soul. Wow. But I think that's probably true no matter what business you're in, to tell you the truth. I, I bet if we dug down into – you have so many businesses, Rebecca, but um,
0: – you know uh, – finances. because I don't have any grandchildren yet. (laughs) (laughs) Just fast forward a year, they'll all be shut. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Except Um, for the main one, which is
2: the the one that pays the bills. (laughs) But I'm I'm sure the tenants, you know, I'm sure those pillars are the same. I certainly know it's the same in sports as an art. I think it's the same
3: when you turn a business into an art form, which I think is what you've done. I want to talk a little bit about your career in acting. So Mm -hmm. you went to acting camp and got the bug. Was that then your path?
2: Yeah, that was it. I remember being in Aspen, and we went to see Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, and the gig with my mom was my sisters took me to every movie, but if they thought it was right, they would sit behind me, which my sisters always thought it was right just to annoy me. They would sit behind me and then cover my eyes, like at the naked sex scenes. (laughs) So the part of Romeo and Juliet that I saw... I went, oh, that's kind of what I want to do. And I think it was after my first year of the camp or right before it. I went there, and then I did school plays. And then I went to RADA. I went to and Arts Academy. I came to L.A. when I was 15, and I stayed with a family friend in Hollywood. I don't know what my – you can tell I'm the eighth kid. My mom was like, okay, see ya. <laughs> so I went out for the summer. I got a job on the cusp, which meant because I was underage, I had to – enroll in school. So I enrolled in Buckley and I did an after school special here and got my SAG card. And then at around Christmas, I crashed and burned and went back home. Then I went to Interlochen and then I went to NYU. And so it's just been sort of, that's what I knew I wanted to do. Wow. And many years of not working. I mean, you know, you're on Broadway and then you don't work for two How years you and you do a television
3: show and you don't work. For me, when I think about it, that rejection all the time, you all have to have some strength of knowing you're A-OK. What other people say is not always the way it is.
2: Yes, I think two things, possibly three. One is you don't have something else to fall back on. I literally can't do anything else. There was a time where I'd gone for a year or more without working, and I just went to another audition where they went, no, no. And I drove by Marinella's School of Beauty, and I went, okay, I can do hair, because I'd been doing hair in place. So I went into Marinella School of Beauty right there on 3rd. Went in and got an application and filled it out and they needed something that I had back home, so I took the application in the car and the phone rang. It was my agent and said, you got a job. I was like, oh, okay, so I'm not going to
3: go to Marinella School of Beauty. (laughs) I think that's so interesting that you put energy out to something completely different, just letting it go and then it comes right back to you. It was just moving
2: forward and also, once you get the stuffing knocked out of you, I mean, every and starts in their career sort of going, I'm going to be in the Olympics. I'm going to be the best one. I'm going – and I did too. And then you get the stuffing knocked out of you and you really start to appreciate, oh, I'm doing a tiny play on Ninth Avenue and ten people came to see it. But we had a great rehearsal today. You start right. really appreciating – the core reasons of why you're in it, which but is just be being able in, to do it a little bit. So was the, Desperate
3: Housewives your big break to the
2: public really knowing who you were? I think for sure. I think Desperate Housewives is going to be on my gravestone. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at it, of course, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If you look at it, you go, oh yeah, I did that play. And then I did that play. And Aaron Sorkin came to see that play. And then I, Went to the audition with Aaron Sorkin and got Sports Night. And then from Sports Night, I did Frasier. And then from Frasier, someone saw me in this. So you can track it. But yeah, Desperate Housewives is when
3: everyone went. Oh, Felicity Huffman. You're a... a lot more complex and deep and interesting as an actress in your roles than what Desperate Housewives kind of was for you. So I kind of think yeah. of this as your commercial, oh, everyone knows who you are now. Yeah, yeah. But that your real, uh, gr- you know, great work has been in these other really amazing roles that you've done.
2: I know. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. I did Desperate Housewives and then while it was in the can i went and did this movie called Transamerica. Mm-hmm. While i was doing Transamerica they sent me the dvd of the pilot and my heart just sank because i went oh my god it's pop culture and that's not what i thought i would be doing and i thought and it's good enough that it's probably going to go so i couldn't quite talk for 3 days but then it's one of the biggest blessings in my life you know it's just that thing of you can't look at the package you cannot look at the package. You always have to look at the essential qualities of what's coming to you, whether it's a job or a person or a place. And I got to do one act play every week, basically every eight days for eight years. Oh, I mean, that's if you approach it correctly, that's great for your craft. That's just time on the boards. I got paid so well. I got into people's offices. Now I'm bankable, or at least I was. <laughs> you are um, bankable. It, it's it's a huge boon. Man proposes and God deposes.
3: But thank God. I I wasn't
2: in charge of my own career because I'd been like, no, I'm going to do really interesting <laughs> well, I art movies. A, yeah, and then I'm I think do- a lot
3: of people in whatever, they'll um, certainly in the arts will self sabotage a little bit. Yeah, in that judgment of, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not how I see how it should be. Today, there is a robust amount of places
0: that that entertainment is being delivered. And there is so much programming on that is so good.
2: Oh, it's incredible. It's, uh, it's like what indie movies were a bunch of years ago before there was just such the glut on the market and nobody went to movies anymore. But, yeah, it's amazing. I think the two words that changed everything was binge watching.
0: Yeah. So people like yourself, when you look at what's going on in the entertainment industry today, isn't it an exciting time for you?
2: It's a really exciting time. It's exciting, like you say, because there's so many venues. You can just watch it in a gazillion different places that everyone's looking for different content. You don't just have the three networks going, you know, we need a procedural. We need a female superhero. It's funny. I think film is a little bit where television used to be. You know, we've got the tentpole ones, you know, the Marvel comics. And then way, way down there, you sort of have some some more artistic or interesting movies. I love working in it now. I love I've always loved television. I particularly love it now. I don't think there's anyone that you could... Well, I guess there's a handful. I'm not sure Kate Blanchett will be doing television. But anyone you reach out to goes, yes, because you've got the money. You've got the flexibility. You know, if ABC doesn't want it, uh, Netflix wants it. And if they don't want it, Hulu wants it or Amazon.
0: I was surprised to see American Crime didn't get legs and stay on. I thought that show was brilliant. Good what do you it. think happened?
2: I think... It was more art than entertainment, and I think it was on ABC, and ABC is about entertainment, particularly now it's done a move. I think um, Channing Dungey, who runs ABC, who is this unbelievably cool woman, you know, she feels a lot of pressure from the board to do things that people watch. And although compared to cable, we had a huge viewership compared to ABC, they just couldn't do it. Now, what about your girls? Are they in your business? Sophia wants to be an actor, the 17-year-old, and Georgia is undecided. So Um, to be at 17, is she trying to get work? We keep going back and forth. No, she's at uh, LOXA, the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. It's a public arts high school. It's the only one we have, and um, it's a great school. It's a great school. And, you know, a couple auditions came up for Real Things. Bill and I went, do we do this? Do we not do it? Because you've all seen the battlefield of young actors that are sort of they're lying dead and bloody and they can't sort of get up and go ahead. And at the same time, we also know the, you know, Claire Dane story and the Jodie Foster story right. that they started early and they survived. So we're uh, on the bubble trying to figure it out. But I think sooner rather than later, she'll start going out. I don't know. You know, 5% of our union makes a living wage. That's from 150 grand under wow. to really 1.9% makes over 250 grand. So, it's wow.
0: Yeah, That's it's a terrible
3: statistic. It's terrible. So you're sort of like cover your eyes and wave and go, "Good luck, honey. I hope you make it." <laughs> but yes. don't you think as a mother though, it's important to let your kids try what they want to do? Having that experience and being there to support them if it doesn't work?
2: Yes, I do. But like all things in motherhood, I'm completely torn and confused because you also hear about those parents that go, I know you want to be a mime, but you're going to go to law school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's your lawyer who's saying this. And he's like, I'm so glad I went to law school. and I, Or, you know... I know you're gonna floutist, but I still want you to get your CPA or whatever it is. So yes, I think so, but I never know that line between is this where I move in and direct them or is this when I go whatever you want? I I find it mire. Your girl
0: your daughter's coming by this naturally anyway, look at who her parents are.
2: Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Well we support it. I mean I was a little trepidatious, but Bill said no, no I we love our life. We love actors. We love it. All let's right. let's give
0: it to her. Now you have daughters that I'm super interested in this conversation about this social networking that's going on. Mm-hmm. Your daughters are right in the danger zone. Mm-hmm. There is so much stuff going on with this twittering and facebooking and snapping. What's how do you deal with that in your house?
2: Well, when they first got their phones at 13, you know, I went online and I found some contracts. So I printed those up and we talked about them and we altered them and they signed the contracts. And they were things like... You know, common that. sense. You know, if you say anything on social media that you wouldn't say to someone's face, we pull the phone. If you're posting pictures of yourself, I mean, unfortunately, in any bikini, in any sort of sexual pose, we're pulling the phone. That it's that it's a form of communication and not, a, not an expose and not a way to get it back. People, it's not a weapon. It's not an advertisement. It's all those kinds of things. So we did that. By the way, I sound like I know what I'm doing. I made huge mistakes. But one other thing I did was I said no phones in the car. And I said, no phones at the dining room table, mm-hmm, which right. seems like duh. But you'd be amazed the kids that now get oh, in the car and do that. happens
0: in my house. Do you look at their phones and see what they're doing with their social networking?
2: I do. Less now. They're 15 and 17. But yes, they haven't been bullied. But yes, there's a lot of bullying going on. And girls are mean. Yes, girls are mean. You know, it's a way of advertising who I'm with and you weren't involved. And, you know, feelings get hurt. Right. I mean, that's the mild form of it. When I was growing up, you had to open a glamour or a vogue to sort of go, oh, yeah, that's not me. Oh, yeah, I don't look like that, as opposed to it's just right there in your palm.
0: Let's talk about what you look like, okay? Because for our listeners, you are so beautiful, and you are so fit, and you always dress so cute. How do you keep yourself looking as fit as you are? What is your exercise routine?
2: Okay, I just want to say that I think growing up, maybe I always had a 40 or a 50-year-old body and now that I'm 40 and now that I'm 50, it's like it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. At 20, it was like, oh my god. I I don't know how to answer that. I will say I look better in person than I do on film, which is funny that that's how I make a living because oh, so I pretty. can't tell you the number of people that come up and go, "Oh my god, you're pretty." Oh, my God. And I remember a photographer, we were doing a photo shoot, and I showed up, and you went, oh, I thought you were old and fat. You are not old and fat, <laughs> to which I respond, no, but you're French and
0: rude. Do <laughs> you <laughs> exercise regularly?
2: Yes, I do. I, um, I've gotten into yoga, and I run, and uh, I lift weights, so it's just part of my routine now. And also, my body dictated my experience, period. 100%. I go, oh, yeah. That year, I liked that year because I was thin. Oh, yeah, that year I, I was really fat. I didn't like, oh, that's the year I starved, so my period stopped, and I was bulimic. That was a good
3: time. Very, so was your yeah. sense of beauty or what was beautiful in you, was that about physicality, and was that totally. important when you were growing up? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I had seven sisters, and we were all obsessed
2: about our weight and diet pills. And, you know, I went into adolescence like girls do and sort of go Like that, puff up and you go from, I don't know, 14% body fat to in your adolescence, you're like in the 20s. All of a sudden you have boobs. Yeah, and you're soft. And uh, I just decided, oh, I'm going to stop eating. And if I eat, I'm going to throw up. So I was bulimic for like two years. And then it's just been a lifelong prison. It's just the Mm. body is a prison. And I often think, and I talked to my friend Deb Corey about this. That, from my experience, if women didn't have to struggle with their shape, and if it's the right shape or not the right shape, we would have so much energy for other things. And I will say, thank God that we've become more diverse because of... You know J Lo and Beyonce, you're allowed to have thighs, and you're allowed to have a butt, and right. you're allowed to be, you know, to have a woman's shape. Know I'm, yeah, yeah. people 50? had butts. You know, did
3: that have any? I know what life's about. I don't need to worry so much about it. I can take care of myself. I love myself anyway. Was that any kind of a milestone for you, or this idea of, damn, getting old is tough? Damn, getting
2: old is tough I have a friend who turned 50 And she was
3: like, I'm 50 And I
2: said, "Wow, well, what, you know, what choice do you have? And she goes, nobody wants to fuck a 50-year-old <laughs> yeah. I was like, no And while we were sitting at lunch Our friend, a guy, went, oh, I do, I do <laughs> It changed for me when I had my girls Because I was pregnant, so I had to eat I mean, the idea of sitting down to a meal Was an anathema to me I went, how do you eat a meal? What are you talking about? Either you don't eat or you eat everything And you throw it up, I don't get it So I had to eat, and my body just got bigger. And I think after I had two kids pretty much in a row, for some reason I could look in the mirror, even though it probably wasn't the reality, and I'd go, it's so pretty. And I think because it did this thing of it grew a person. How do your girls – do they have any eating issues or are they – They don't have eating issues, but good God, it started when they were 10 or 11. You know, my thighs, my thighs, they're so big so it's definitely there they're 15 and 17 not near obsessed as where i was thank god or my sisters thank god and i think the culture has changed you know
0: do you have I do know. you twitter and and facebook I do, yeah you do mm-hmm. it's I, sort of part of your branding business. yeah although bill's doing quite well and doesn't really do No, he's got a hot show i love that show yeah. too it's it, fantastic it, it, rudderless oh my god Mm-hmm. That was an unbelievable... he Bill wrote that didn't he
2: Actually two guys wrote it and Bill came in and you know I'm sure helped tweak it and rewrite it and get it ready for filming But, but he directed he it He directed it it's that a film it's Billy was, Crudup
0: So unbelievably emotionally difficult to to understand in the end of that film anybody that's listening to the show go download that movie because it's fantastic. oh it's amazing writerless A fabulous uh, billy crudup and anton yelchin rest in peace it was beautiful i loved being I know, that anton, was an education I didn't for me real, uh, just this very second when you said that i forgot yeah so today what's your life like today this very day? Yeah, are you happy? <laughs> are you enjoying yourself this very
2: day? I am really happy. I really wish that as women got older that we could take the benefits of the peace, at least in my case, the peace and the non-violence towards oneself. And your idea of radical self-care. If we could just do that, while well, we're not, everything is heading south. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> I wish there was a way of, without sort of cutting ourselves up or all that sort of stuff, which, by the way, I'm sure I'm going to sign up for very soon. I'm not against it. Yeah, latex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that there was a way of uh, keeping all the the wonderful wisdom without, the, without mourning the way we look.
3: How is the? How are you feeling about the industry? I mean, lots more opportunities to make content, but still, yeah, competitive nature as always. Do you find it tougher as you get older, or?
2: Well, I don't know. It hasn't been tough yet, but you know, that's the thing about a cliff. Or you know, you don't quite see it until you're over it, and you're like, oh yeah, I did fall. You know, it's not equal in the sense that you know, still women are not paid what men are. Still, we're prized for being young and beautiful. You know. Older movie stars have their co-stars are, you know, 30. You know, we need more female showrunners that's a movement. We need more female writers. We need more female execs. And that's the way to start changing the narrative. You know, why you'll have things like Orange is the New Black. I mean, Desperate Housewives changed the landscape. And that was done by a wonderful, talented, gay Republican guy. And it took a gay guy to go, yeah, women in their 40s are viable. And that changed the landscape. I hope it continues. I want to continue. And yet, we are swimming upstream.
0: I also have been, as I'm sure you have been, I'm, I'm watching with great interest all of this harassment that's coming out now. So I feel very conflicted over this, but it didn't happen to me. So I don't really have a right to have a judgment about it. But mm. it's we need to stand shoulder to shoulder and say, that's not OK.
2: I couldn't agree more. I mean, whether you're to the right or to the left, it's just not OK. Not okay. And I've often wondered since the election, regardless of what side you're on, that, that we still don't have a female president. There are not enough senators. They're not enough congressmen. And I've often thought, you know, much like the gay movement, what is going to have to happen? What's going to light our fire? And, you know, it's, We're here, we're queer, get used to it, or act up, or those kinds of things. And they were so loud and so outrageous and I'm sure to some people so annoying, relentless, that finally they went, Okay, okay, you're people too. Okay, you have a place.
0: And I thought, when are women gonna rise up and how's that going to work? Yeah. And maybe that's what came from the election is that this is not okay. And yeah, people.
2: it's like a bad boyfriend. I remember <laughs> my, my sister, one of my sisters saying, look, this is what boyfriends are about. And I said, what? And she goes, it's figuring
0: out what you don't want. Thank you so much oh, for coming. Oh, you guys, this is, this is so fun. So Thank you absolutely. so much. It's such a joy to You're have so you. So... Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you for coming. Thank, Thank you. you. On the next episode of Say It Forward, you could say our guest, Jonathan Koch, is a modern-day Rocky. Diagnosed with a mysterious, almost fatal illness and given only a 10% chance of survival. He fought this life-threatening disorder that left him dismembered almost overnight. After months of excruciating physical training, he received one of the first hand transplants and now walks on a prosthetic leg. Interviewed on ABC's 2020... One of Hollywood's most endearing and successful executives will be here to tell us what it takes for a hero to beat all the odds. Jonathan Koch reveals one of the most inspiring life stories you will ever hear on the next Say It Forward.
1: Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.